Hello, I'm Stefan Uttenthaler and you are listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. Listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics, and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 387. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Siastok! Hello. Hey, son. Hey, son. How are you guys? It's been a while oh. since we were all together again. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, we have, we have, we're kind of seeing the usual greetings and that feels so good. Yeah. Oh, I hope people are shocked now to hear the three of us are together. Yeah, yeah. It's when you have breakfast at your parents' house. It's like there's something that's very familiar <laughs> and trusted, <laughs> so to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I very rarely do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't trust the hotels where I usually have my breakfast. Yeah, but I had breakfast with you guys and Claire. Mm. <laughs> several yes. times. <laughs> yes. Oh, good times, good times. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the current situation? Where, where, where are you guys? I'm in Hungary currently. Oh, really? That, that's a shock. What? That's Probably shock. not going to be the case by the time this goes out, but yes. Yeah, okay, good for you. <laughs> I'm traveling a little bit this week. I'm with uh, my in-laws, Okay. which is just like, uh, what is it? Uh, 170 kilometers north of where I live. Hmm? Mm. Oh, okay. Nice. That's not even a great distance in Sweden. No, nothing really. <laughs> nothing. It's a bit of summer vacay. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. In that situation, we usually say in Hungarian, we jump over there. Ah, okay. I didn't. I took the car. But anyway. <laughs> right. So, uh, and Annika, you're... I'm at home. So you're, you're at home. Okay, yes. good. So is it hot? Yes. Are you warm? Yes. There's a heat wave going on. I'm not happy. Yeah, it's a massive heat wave again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like a polar bear. I'm like not happy right now. <laughs> All right. No, the same same here. I'm the exception then, because just as I said heat wave started, maybe even on the recording, it started raining on the window here. <laughs> so we, we have uh, 17, 18 degrees. I don't know what the fuss is all about. Yeah. Wow. Fuss is all about an anticyclone that even got a name uh, that has been sweeping th across Europe, and its 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 name is Cerberus, uh, Cerberus, or I, I don't know how how you pronounce Greek names. Probably Cerberus, if you Cerberus, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, yeah. you know, it's a th the three headed monster that that guards the 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 entrance to the underworld, and. Uh, the name suggests that it's something hell-like that we have been experiencing in Europe. And that is the case, actually. I'm saying that uh, having been away from here in Canada, where, uh, well, extreme heats are very likely this year as well. Yeah. But across Europe, in some of the European countries, the l last couple of days brought about temperatures of 40 to 45 degrees even. So it's unbelievable. Do you remember that last year? Uh, no, two years ago, 2021, the European heat record was broken by the town of uh, Syracuse in Sicily. 
Yeah. Do you remember that? 48.8 degrees uh, Celsius, which is unbelievably high. And uh, yeah. I just saw, uh, just uh, an hour before we started recording, I saw that Rome has an official a new record today. It's 41.8 degrees, so it's not 48. That's that's a record for Rome, yeah. That's yeah, a yeah. record for Rome, and it's... Uh, yeah. So we see these records being shattered all over the place. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it is terrible, and it's deadly. People die from this. It is really yeah. dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The European statistics show that uh, heat-related mortality in Europe uh, in the summer of 2020 two accounted for about uh, 62,000 mm. uh, excess deaths. Yeah. And the highest so far on record um, for, for that to happen was in 2003, where they registered about 70,000 excess deaths due to heat and heat-related mortality. So extreme heat can cause a lot of health-related issues that can result in death. So that is a reality. And uh, unfortunately, climate change is a reality as well. And uh, well, at the beginning of July, I believe on the 4th and the 5th of July, marked the world's hottest day on record when it came to the average temperature of the world, which is shocking. But not very shocking if you think about it, because it's been a heat has been accumulating for decades on end, and it's not stopping, and it doesn't seem like we are doing anything really to stop it from happening in the future. Yeah. So we're basically fucked. Yep. Isn't that a good note to to start the uh, show on? I think it's really good. Mm-hmm. And- yeah, I've got one more thing that I want to add uh, about uh, we are fucked, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that German politics are taking a bit of a, a turn um, because. Our far-right party, AFD, Alternative for Deutschland, Alternative for Germany, mm-hmm. did make a few key political gains. Mm-hmm. They won a few local elections, two significant local elections. And the thing is that people are not really happy with the coalition um, that's making the federal government up right now. So like the Social Democrats, the Greens and the FDP, which is the central right liberal party, they're pretty unpopular and and sadly makes AFD basically gain. They had like trends, not, not really like not an election, but polls where AFD is ranked second place wow. right now. Yeah. So they're gaining ground and, and I'm not happy about it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty openly bi and I'm pretty open. Or like people that look at me can see that I'm also not the classical uh, thin 1950s woman uh, at home baking cookies. <laughs> so hmm. like, yeah, I'm not happy about a party that probably wants me to be that because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. So... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not looking good, but we, no. if people actually vote and go voting when the vote comes up, when there's an election, then um, it might not be as bad. So people, please go voting. <laughs> yeah, please vote sensibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, just yes. thought of this, that we talk about alternative medicine, mm-hmm. but any party, political party that put alternative in their name, yes. so it's an alternative mm-hmm. party, it doesn't sound good to me as a skeptic. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, it could be a good rule of thumb, but I don't think that's enough for us anymore. And th- my problem is that um, when it comes to politicians making these decisions, they base their decisions on the popularity of things. And uh, there have been many, many surveys trying to assess to what extent people are 
concerned about climate change and how much they are willing to do and sacrifice for it uh, to in order for it to be tackled. And the situation is is not very hopeful. So this is the reason why I don't think it's the best advice for people to go and vote sensibly because the sensible vote for them might be mm-hmm. to the person that makes the most sense to what they believe in and th- that could be completely misled to start with so i i don't know what to say to people who are about to vote anymore Mm. Because it's uh, to them, it makes a lot of sense to to vote right wing politicians not caring about the future of the world and humanity. So, I I don't know. So um, what we can do as skeptics is to try and point out the wrongfulness of things and some ideas and criticize some ideas and and let other people know what critical thinking could bring to their lives as a positive outcome as a, as a positive thing and what they can build on and uh, if that doesn't help or we cannot get the message through there's always the method of ridiculing those people who are talking rubbish right and this is what some uh, organizations do across europe when they give out uh, negative awards like uh, critical kinds of awards and i believe one of them is das goldene brett in germany isn't that correct oh yes yes that is right exactly okay then uh, we could probably bring a little bit more of a positive vibe to the show with listening to someone talking about das goldene brett what do you think guys definitely mm, let's do that <laughs> Okay. Let's just jump in right into it. <laughs> yes, we have a pre-recorded interview, so let's go. Once in a while, we interview people of interest, mostly from Europe. And today with us is Stefan Utenthaler. So, Stefan, who are you and what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, good evening. So, uh, I'm Stefan Utenthaler. I'm from Vienna in Austria. And uh, I'm a member of the Vienna Skeptics Group already for quite some time, since uh, 2011, actually. My profession is a science manager at the Technical University of Vienna. Uh, And in fact, I studied physics and uh, astronomy. So I did a master's thesis in in physics and a PhD in astronomy. Mm -hmm. So my main skeptical occupation is uh, dealing, of course, with uh, astrology and also all kinds of legends and myths uh, around effects of the moon. Mm, yeah, very good. Very, it's good to see you again, Stefan. We we met in Vienna last year in the at the European Skeptics Congress. Exactly. Yes, the European Skeptics Congress was in Vienna last year, mm-hmm. and we also yeah. the, our local skeptics group uh, contributed to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we had a, a skeptical pub quiz. Oh yes, and also we had a few speakers from Vienna. Mm. Yeah, I think, I hope uh, there was a good contribution, a visible contribution from, from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was very happy. And uh, I know that you were uh, a big part of that. Uh, you, we saw you running around a lot, uh, trying to, you know, put out all the local fires and making sure everything worked. <laughs> and, and you managed it. It, was, it went very well, I think. Uh, you're also a good photographer, aren't you? 
Yeah, I try. <laughs> <laughs> I took a, f- a couple of uh, photos during the, mm-hmm. the ESC, yes. Very good. I think most of the speakers are uh, on the photos that I took. <laughs> yeah. You made us look very, very much better than we do in real life. And that's uh, <laughs> any, that's all you can ask for a <laughs> photographer. So, so one reason that we have you here to, tonight is that we want you to tell us a little bit more about the Das Goldene Brett. The, the, we, we mentioned it last week and we've mentioned it a couple of times before, but we thought as it's always better to have somebody who's really involved explaining what it is and why we should care about it. Yeah, uh, thank you very much actually for mentioning it last week uh, for the advertisement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we still need some advertisement uh, to fill the hall in Vienna. Mm-hmm. So actually the goldene Brett. It's a satirical prize for people who promote all kinds of pseudoscience and esoterics. It actually exists uh, since 2011 uh, and we, we awarded it uh, 10 times uh, by now. There was a, a little break uh, during the pandemic, but now we uh, took it up again. Uh, today I read this article by the UK skeptics about the uh, rusty razor. And I have to say that actually our price uh, is uh, very similar to that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's an award for dangerous uh, pseudoscience and um, all kinds of misinformation and um, conspiracy theory and the like. And it will take place in uh, on October 5th yeah. this year. You have this big event coming up. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it will be in the Wiener Stadtsaal. That's actually a fairly decent uh, theater hall uh, with about uh, 400 places, I think. Wow. So we have 400 uh, tickets to give away. Oh, give away. You you have to pay for uh, it, to, to sell, yes. <laughs> yeah, to sell, okay, right. We have a few for free uh, also, uh-huh. probably mm-hmm. uh, the ones who actively contributed, uh, organizing it and so on. Yeah, and the rest is uh, for sale. And I hope that the hall will be full. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. So how does this work, the nominations, the process of nominating people and how far have you come? I I understand that for now, it's still a big secret who will get the award. And maybe you don't even know yourself. But how does it all work? We don't even know ourselves Mm -hmm. exactly. It's uh, because uh, there's a nomination phase. Uh, which we hope uh, will open soon. So there's a website, uh, goldenesbrett.guru, uh, it's called. <laughs> okay, .guru. <laughs> Is it yeah. possible to post uh, links uh, oh, sure, to the of podcast? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, then, yes. Uh, I will give you the link. And so once this the nomination phase is open, the general public can come up with uh, nominations. They can type in uh, names of people who... Uh, qualified for the uh, board and also uh, you have to justify why this person should uh, receive it mm-hmm. and the nomination phase will be open until roughly uh, mid-September. We have uh, scheduled a meeting of the jury on the 21st uh, of September and then it will be decided who will receive the prize. Okay. So in the previous years we had a couple of hundred nominations. Wow. So the jury is formed uh, by members of the Vienna Skeptics Club. We also have uh, people who give the honorary speech who promote one of three finalists. 
and eventually uh, on October 5th it will be made public who who will receive the prize this year. Mm. Interesting. I just want to explain uh, goldenes Brett. Uh, it means uh, the golden board in front of the head. It's a German proverb. Uh, I think it doesn't exist in English, but it essentially says that um, if you're extremely stubborn or very s slow in, in understanding things, then uh, you would say uh, this person has a, a Brett for the Kopf, so a board in front of the head. Yeah. So that's where where the name of the award derives from. So I guess, I guess I'm struggling a little bit with that metaphor. I've heard <laughs> it before, but I, it's from new me. to me. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I guess it's something that also to do with that you, they refuse to see. The, the real world and that they just yes yeah yeah, yeah. So, uh, so people who received the award are, fact resistant yes yeah fact resistant um, the resistant against any kind of criticism which they face um, and con so they're yeah consistently resistant against any criticism and uh, that's why they qualify for this board yeah so how do people usually react when they get this award? <laughs> yeah, usually uh, we invite the awardees and they have oh. the possibility to even defend themselves. And uh, some of them actually uh, showed up, particularly in, in the first uh, ceremonies that we had in 2011 and so. The first awardee was a film director. Uh, who received the uh, Golden Spread from Kopf in 2011 for a movie co uh, about uh, Lichtnahrung, that's uh, light uh, nutrition, one could say. Aha. So that's the myth that people can live uh, from just receiving sunlight. Ah, yeah, yeah. Like yes. plants. And this was a completely uncritical uh, movie about this myth. Uh, and actually, in the meantime, there were... So people believe in this. And actually, in the meantime, a uh, few people die from trying to live on light. Yeah. So you clearly see the danger that comes uh, from these things. And you said he, he showed up to defend himself. Did he have anything to say? Yeah, yeah. So to be honest, uh, I wasn't not a member of the Vienna Skeptics ah. Club at that point. So I have uh, I missed uh, his speech. Ah. So I only know from colleagues uh, how he defended it. It's uh, like um, he says... He, just wanted to show it and, and did not actually promote living from light only. Yeah. Uh, something like this. Yeah, I can see how, how you can at least try to reason your way that and say that. I just wanted to document the thing. I didn't take sides. and mm -hmm. But that's also dangerous sometimes. Yeah, we all had a few other well-known awardees. Uh, for example, Xavier Naidu mm -hmm. received the prize in 2014. Because so already at that time uh, it was quite clear that uh, he was quite uh, deep into conspiracy theories. At least to us it was clear, but it was not so well known in, in the wider public. Only during the pandemic it became quite clear that also in the general public that uh, Xavier Nadu was deep into conspiracy theories like uh, this um, adrenochrome uh, theory uh, and things like this. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were actually quite early in, in shedding light on, on his uh, conspiracy theories. Mm. Also, there is this group uh, of homeopaths without borders. Oh, yes. Uh, who received the prize. Quite uh, infamous group. They even go to crisis regions in Africa and promote homeopathy as a cure uh, to uh, whatever disease. 
And yeah, it's. I think it's very obvious that uh, how dangerous this is. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't uh, yes. that dangerous. It would be funny almost, but it's yeah. really, really not nothing to laugh about. Yeah. So I mean, in general, uh, the award ceremony is quite um, humoristic. Let's say we all also we all always have a um, artistic side act, some artists or comedians giving an artist side act to just uh, to lighten the mood yeah mm. so that's uh, very important uh, to also laugh about uh, some yeah. of about these crazy things going on even though uh, often they're very serious and, and dangerous yeah mm-hmm. yeah you also don't ha- you won't have a good time also if you're just sitting there and just yeah. being angry and sad about the state of <laughs> could be of very things. depressing yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and yeah, I, I know sure. you're also doing other things Stefan right so like you said before you're also active for something you're doing you're doing in a pub right <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, I I'm also organizing the Skeptics in the Pub in Vienna. So it's like um, probably in other places we have uh, talks in in a pub in Vienna mm-hmm. uh, about uh, skeptic topics or any scientific uh, topic that is also interesting to, to skeptic society. So about uh, every... Uh, once in a, uh, per month we mm-hmm. have a, a talk awesome and it's it's going on since 2015 and we actually already had um, some of the uh, most cited uh, scientists of Austria nice. on our stage that's great mm-hmm. yeah that's really great awesome <laughs> I think that that speaks also for the quality that yeah. uh, we we have yeah <laughs> and yeah we also have the videos of the talks uh, online on our YouTube channel skeptics in the pub Vienna. Most of the talks are in German. There's only one in English. Okay. Uh, so uh, it's more or less restricted to people in the German-speaking countries. Also, the um, Goldene Brett, it's actually aimed at um, people who are mainly active in, in the German-speaking countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw uh, that this, the Rusty Razor was awarded to Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, of course, who has a, a big uh, impact in, in the Anglo-American mm-hmm. countries. But uh, so for the Golden Bread, we award it to people who are active mostly in, in, in the German-speaking countries. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, so actually there are three prizes this year that we give away. Mm-hmm. So there's the one, the normal uh, Golden Bread. Uh, and then since 2012, there is also a separate award for uh, the life achievement, let's say. <laughs> so for people who are active already for a long, long time and uh, are consistently resistant to criticism. Uh, so one of the awardees there is um, Erich von Deniken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know him. Well deserved. <laughs> a Swiss writer about uh, pre-astronautics, uh, UFOs and pyramids. and uh, Ancient astronauts and stuff, yes. Ancient astronauts, yes. Uh, and this year there's a new award. Uh, it's a prize that uh, will be chosen by the audience. Mm. Mm-hmm. So not by the jury, but uh, by the audience. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Mm. Great. So we're looking forward to how this, this is going. Sounds like a great time. Awesome. Yeah. Mm. So thank you, Stefan. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I will give you the link mm-hmm. to... Absolutely. Just send us all the links you can think yeah. of, but also to the YouTube channel. Yeah. We'll put them in the show notes. All of that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay, I will. Okay, thank you, Stefan. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Okay, yeah. You're... 
Uh, thank you. <laughs> Looking forward to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Bye. Good. Yeah, that was that was Stefan Utenthaler for you guys. So <laughs> really interesting person, really active in Vienna. So mm -hmm. awesome work. <laughs> we met him in Vienna, right? Yes, we did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, good work. Keep it up. But we will keep up doing the show every week. The first regular segment of which is This Week in Skeptical History or Twish. And this week marks the birthday mm -hmm. of a Hungarian engineer and self-taught so-called researcher of something that we call life energy. Oh, okay. uh, but he's, <laughs> he's also a proponent of UFOs and he's a so-called researcher of ball lightnings. And the name is Jörg Egeli. He was born on the 18th of July 1950. So he's a very interesting guy. Actually, I came across his, his name right at the beginning of my skeptical activism mm -hmm. because that's how well known he was. He was always on TV as a so-called expert on all kinds of things that were related to energy. <laughs> And one of them was ball lightning. So in his own uh, words, that was like a gateway to his um, activism into researching the paranormal. And um, he launched his own investigative organization, uh, obviously with his own name. And um, he's been a publisher of the UFO magazine since 1993 in Hungary. And what he's most famous for is uh, his special interest in energy, which was his field. He has a PhD, I have to add, in uh, mechanical engineering. And his uh, special field was related to all kinds of energy production. Yeah, and he was a student of a very prestigious university, the Budapest University of Technology, which is of the highest, the university of the highest esteem on the field. And um, this is one of the reasons why he's um, highly credited by a lot of people. And that gives him credibility in the eyes of the general public when he writes about stuff. And the other thing that comes from that is when he, for example, comes up with an idea that other physicists say that it's basically a perpetual motion machine that he proposes as the solution to all kinds of energy production. The problem is that he has the means to do calculations and overwhelm the reader of his books with these calculations, these lengthy calculations, and most of the readers could not figure out what the problem with the calculations are. Fortunately, we have a very smart member of our, the Hungarian Skeptic Society, at least the one, <laughs> who's, who's a physicist himself, and he has gone through all Egeli's calculations and pointed out where the mistakes were made. Mm. And that is a really cool thing to do, but it's not very convincing still to most of the general public who don't no, don't even understand what the original calculations were in the first place. So that's a very interesting tactic um, to convince people. But 
mostly he doesn't make much sense. So his ideas and proposed energy solutions basically go against some laws of physics, specifically the law of conservation of energy. So um, he, he just disregards it completely. And that makes him ridiculous in, in most physicists' eyes. But uh, his greatest invention is something that he calls vitality meter, because he claims that he has experienced something that is called the life energy, and that he um, came up with a device that can actually show what life energy is, and you can measure it. Well, you cannot actually measure it. The, the way of measurement is the rotational speed of a disk in the middle of it, and it's very easily movable. And um, some experiments that have been done by skeptics across Hungary, it has been shown that um, it's actually based on nothing else but small differences in temperature between points very small distances from each other. So that's basically it. And that's what he calls a vitality meter that measures what he calls life energy. So that's the kind of guy that we used to debate and we used to deal with. But in the eyes of skeptics, it's been so highly discredited uh, for the madness that he's been proposing that uh, we don't usually deal with him anymore. But his books are still there on the bookshelves of uh, even current day bookstores. So uh, that's Jörg Egeli, who's celebrating his 73rd birthday on July the 18th. So, uh, yeah. Happy birthday, Mr. Egeli. Happy birthday. <laughs> but please stop talking rubbish. <laughs> so, moving on, because I would love to find out if Pontus has something to poke the Pope for this week. Yes, I do. Of course I do. Then do it. <laughs> <laughs> I talked last week about the new cardinals that Frankie will appoint in September. Mm -hmm. Seems like there's a new controversy brewing already about one of them. Uh, this is Archbishop Victor Manuel Fernandez. Fernandez, I, I think. Yeah, well, he's 61 years old. He's one of these uh, new cardinals. And in addition to being a cardinal, he was also appointed the new head of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, which is, of course, or used to be the Papal Inquisition. And uh, so it's a very influential position. Lovely organization. Yeah, lovely organization. <laughs> Great history there. Yeah. And a lot of power within the church. So this Fernandez uh, apparently published a controversial book back in 1995 and conservative bishops, mostly in the US, I believe, are now losing their minds about this because the book is called, and I kid you not, quote, heal me with your mouth. The art of kissing, end quote. <laughs> We're still talking about the Catholic Church, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a really progressive dude yeah, yeah. Uh, that okay. Frankie has found to lead the former Inquisition. <laughs> and I have nothing against kissing. I'm all for it. I think it's a, a nice thing. I think people don't do it enough. But when it comes from a Catholic priest and he wants to describe in a book exactly how and when you should do it, it leaves me feeling a little bit uncomfortable. So uh, Fernandez claims that the book is not 
written from his personal experience. That's his excuse. It's like, what? then what the hell are you talking about? So what do you know about this? If it's not from person, how much person more personal can you, you can you get? So maybe it's just all fantasy, but it's still very confusing. Uh, an example, there is a poem in the book, which Fernandez has composed. And in translation, it goes like this. How was God so ruthless to give you that mouth? No one can resist which hide it. End quote. Uh. So I, I don't. First of all, it's confusing, but it's rather explicit. Uh, attraction is going on there, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that's definitely. Uh, very, very strange. But also flirty. Oh, yeah, very flirty. I would say uh, me too kind of flirty. Mm-hmm. Don't say that to people unless you know them very well, and don't call people a witch. And at the same time, that is a crucial word in this translation because in the original Spanish, he used the word bruja, B-R-U-J-A, which I am told can mean both witch, as it was translated uh, there, but it could also mean bitch. Oh, no, really? Ooh. So, in the, that last sentence could be translated as no one can resist, bitch. And <laughs> <laughs> this is what his detractors are doing now on social media. And these are detractors. These are bishops. So, there's one bishop who calls for everyone to pray for Fernandez that he would regain his Catholic faith. And this is the guy that um, Frankie has put in charge of the Inquisition. I'm getting my popcorn. This can be really entertaining to see how this will end. Uh, we, we might end up uh, with women having to wear burkas as well uh, in Europe because of that. Uh, mm, I think you're, that's a slippery slope argument. I don't think we have to go that far. But it'll be interesting. No, they have to cover their mouths. It's important. Come on. <laughs> apparently, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> to resist temptation. Yeah. Do you know what my favorite ever story of resisting uh, temptation and trying to avoid feelings of lust is? No, but maybe you should send it to this Fernandez guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story of how San Benedetto di Nursia did it. The founder of the Benedictines. Okay. So San Benedict. Mm. So he jumped into a lot of nettle, stock naked. <laughs> that, that would... <laughs> In order to avoid... That would distract you from your lust, I think, yes. Exactly. To, to avoid <laughs> feelings of lust. So if uh, similarly hilarious ideas come about, I would love to hear about them <laughs> on the account of um, uh, the mm. Inquisition. Yeah, it's a strange cult. Let's uh, just uh, yeah. summarize it like that. Yeah. <laughs> Very f- obsessed by sex and then sex is not permitted, but then they all do it. And uh, yeah, we have to look the other way and uh, people are getting hurt. Yeah. All right. So thank you for poking the Pope once again, Pontus. Thank you. And that brings us to the news. And we've been talking about the fact that that some countries, including Italy, has been experiencing extreme heat and a a heat wave. Uh, By the way, a heat wave is a prolonged period of very hot weather somewhere in in a specific location. And um, 
Well, as you said, Pontus, Rome, starting this week, uh, started to experience 44 degrees and 43 degrees of temperatures. And uh, that is extremely high. It's a record high temperature, even for a hot city like that. And um, some internationally recognized news outlets started talking about that, including The Guardian, The Times, The BBC. And uh, some of them called it, 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 I think it's a very interesting play on the word where you, uh, Rome is usually referred to as the eternal city mm. and now some of, some of these outlets call it the infernal city mm. because it's unbearable <laughs> the heat is unbearable there yeah and it's like the hell yeah <laughs> and unfortunately it looks like Italian mostly government related and uh, thus right leaning news outlets could only ponder on this specific thing and not necessarily the fact that there is a relation of these heat waves to global climate change and that something should be done about that so they only focus on the political aspect of our lovely capital city being called the infernal city and that is unacceptable and all that so that is just ridiculous and especially the well-known Matteo Salvini deputy prime minister of Italy currently well Giorgia Meloni's deputy prime minister who's also known for uh, not making too much sense when it comes to scientific issues including COVID-19 and global climate change as well so because of the influence of the Italian government onto the reportings of right-wing newspapers that can be actually traced back to the times when Silvio Berlusconi was in power because he owned a lot of these media outlets and newspapers as well. So Il Giornale, Libero and La Verità, these are basically considered mouthpieces for the current government. And when you put it together with the fact that the government doesn't really do anything to tackle climate change in their own country, but on the other hand, they keep ridiculing activists, including Greta Thunberg, who actually got a very unkind nickname in Italy. I don't know if you've heard, but she's often being referred to as Gretina. Well, that's just a bit of a nickname for her first name, but... Is that like fish? No, 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 but it sounds very much like Gretina. Ah, okay, got it. And I think you know what that means. Yeah. In German, she also has an unkind nickname, which has to do with fish, like tuna fish. Oh, what does that sound like? Well, Greta Thunberg and Thunfish in German almost sounds like... Oh, yeah. that is... It's, it's, yeah, but don't expect them to be funny or smart in any way kind of shape yeah. in Hungarian uh, government related uh, news outlets uh, she's just usually referred to as the moody little girl so it's lacking any kind of respect for, for her and the cause so these politicians currently in power in Italy um, they have a history of being even climate change deniers. For example, in the Berlusconi government, the right-hand man for Berlusconi called Giuliano Ferrara was an outright climate change denier. 
and uh, he started a campaign and those campaigns are still living on and those things are so much embedded in the society and they talk about the the, the actual heat the and the actual fact that this is this is catastrophic and we have to do something about this but they keep pointing at the European Union and on other occasions they just fail to explain what this is all about. And I believe that for people to be more ready to act and more ready to sacrifice things in their own lives in order to get to find a solution, they would have to understand the, the, the situation and what the problem is in depth. And uh, not explaining it and not letting experts explain them to the general public and not giving them all the platform that they could is a massive failure on their side. And that, unfortunately, when you put it together with the survey from back in, in March 2023, Italian people are still among those who consider climate change a very serious issue and they are fairly worried about it. In fact, Italians are currently the nation among the seven countries surveyed in the YouGov survey, where it's the highest proportion of people who believe so. Like 81% of people believe that it's a very severe issue. But when it comes to how much people are willing to sacrifice in their own lives uh, when it comes to like like changing your habits, changing your habits of what you eat, changing your habits of how you commute, uh, whether you use a car or you use public transport or you use an electric car instead of a combustion engine car. These are the things that don't look really promising. And uh, in order for people to be able to act, they have to understand what the action is needed for and that is something that should be met with a lot more effort and a lot more resources as well yeah and something that also needs a lot of resources is watching things on on social media and now you might wonder how where am i going with that um recently i was browsing through my uh, instagram feed and not really my only my feed but also to like the suggested videos mm -hmm. and i found a video that probably was suggested to a lot of parents and i'm pretty openly a parent on on <laughs> social media and there they said don't put sunscreen on your kids it's, it's toxic and use oil or nothing because the sun is actually giving life and sunscreen is not good and of course my alarm bells my skeptical alarm bells rang immediately and then i actually stumbled over this article um in el pais talking about the new conspiracy theory that sunscreen is toxic <laughs> and you heard it right it's obviously not true It's a conspiracy uh, theory and it's really spreading through the internet. So, as I said, already stumbled over that. And people say you shouldn't put sunscreen on you because you need vitamin D. And if you can't make vitamin D if you have sunscreen on your skin and the sun uh, is actually not that bad, but um, sunscreen is toxic. And the thing is, well, yeah, vitamin D is a good thing. <laughs> But having an adequate level of vitamin D in your blood does not mean you can't get certain diseases. So that's the one thing. The other thing is if you get burned periodically, like 
every year or twice or whatever, then you might very likely get a certain disease. Mm. And that's just what science says, you know, that's that's evidence-based. Mm. So people have, say, you should only put like very weak sun protection factor on you or uh, don't use UV protection uh, on cloudy days uh, and so on and so on. But the thing is, there is no such thing as healthy tanning. <laughs> the sun will, will always burn. Yeah. I mean, like always, in, depending on where you are, like, of course, winter will make it much harder for you to burn. But yeah, yeah. The carpet here is ultraviolet rays. Yes. So the sunlight is made up of a lot of different wavelength rays, but it's UV that is harmful because it's mutagenic by nature, which is a problem for life. This is why we currently believe, based on what we know of the, the history of life on Earth, mm -hmm. that life could only leave water and start gaining ground well, quite literally, <laughs> on the ground when there was sufficient levels of oxygen for uh, ozone to start forming. And without that... So life was already running away from UV rays. <laughs> no, it could not survive outside of the water because the water could shield it enough so that the mutagenity of the UV light could not have mm -hmm. such a devastating effect. Yeah. And... Oxygen that used to be toxic to life uh, became an important part mm -hmm. of forming that outside shield of the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. But the other side of this is that, yes, the same UV rays help the production of vitamin D. So the synthesis is triggered by the, the ultraviolet rays. Mm -hmm. So that is very important. But it's always about the dosage. Yes. <laughs> so a, a certain level is required. But if you overshoot, then you'll just have that very high mutagenic effect that can easily lead to skin cancer. So yeah, exactly. whoever says otherwise doesn't know the fact. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the thing is that what they also, they, the argument that they use is our ancestors 150 years ago or longer ago uh, were clean of chemicals, did not use sunscreen and were never diagnosed with level 3 melanoma and they lived happily and... Until the age of 42. <laughs> On average. <laughs> That's what they don't say. <laughs> So they say sunlight isn't toxic, sunscreen is. And yeah, that actually really makes me a bit of belly ache because like, just imagine if I wouldn't be a skeptic and I also wouldn't be a skeptically minded person, yeah. but just a, an insecure mom sitting at home on, on her phone, mm. flipping through through Instagram. And then I see this video and telling me like, don't put sunscreen on your, on your kid. <laughs> if I'm vulnerable and just listen to that, that's not okay because then I wouldn't put sunscreen on my two-year-old daughter. Yeah. And, and we also know like the younger the skin is, the more harmful it can be if they get burned yeah absolutely so it's indirect harm yeah but also you you don't have to know all of these facts really uh, about uh, oxygen and the science and all of that you can just listen on how they are reasoning for one thing it this thing that they're saying that skin cancer was not known before mm -hmm. we started to use uh, sunscreen that that's a clear lie yeah hypocrisy yeah Described mm -hmm. skin cancer yes. 2,500 years yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. So just get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about or you're deliberately lying. Mm -hmm. that, that's the thing. And even if people didn't get diagnosed, they might have just died, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Big, yeah. that's true. In, in horrific pain uh, and didn't get a diagnosis, but they still had melanomas, you know. Yeah, so we cannot emphasize it enough. 
please do not take medical advice from a skeptical podcast but also not from <laughs> fitness influencers listen to experts yeah. when they say that sunscreen is important for the health of your skin when you go outside and the other thing is uh, please when you uh, notice anything on your skin that's unusual please go to see a dermatologist and yeah. uh, have it checked up mm -hmm. have it checked yeah. up and an expert is a medical person not someone on instagram <laughs> yeah. oh someone to yes. chat <laughs> well there are a couple of experts on instagram who who take take the time and energy but then to, they're medical experts too <laughs> to explain stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of science, I mean, we are big f fans of science and we're also big fans of Retraction Watch. Oh, yes. Which is the website that keeps track of all the retractions of scientific papers that turn out to be factually wrong or built on falsified data or sometimes are outright fraudulent. So it's very important function that they have and I'm, I'm glad somebody's doing this. Documenting all that, you can go there. It's all in one place. And It is amazing how much cheating there is out there. Even if we must remember, of course, that the very large majority that is published is, is very good. We, we don't, we don't want to send the message that you shouldn't trust scientific papers, but there are scientific papers that are wrong. And there is in particular a German anesthesiologist called Joachim Bolt that for a long time he was recorded, regarded as one of the top names in his field. And his claim to fame was that he developed the method of juicing colloidal hydroxyethyl starch or HES to boost blood pressure during surgery. And that is apparently important. I don't know, but it must be. However, there was a meta-analysis of trials that excluded his data and just looked at other Uh, research and they found that all the intravenous use of HES was associated with a significant increased risk of death and acute kidney injury compared with other uh, operations or other solutions. So it turns out that this bald guy uh, was basically lying and all his papers were built on fabricated and fraudulent data. He has recently been stripped of uh, his uh, professorship. He's no longer a professor. And he is under criminal investigation for possible forgery. And um, very recently, uh, an additional 20 of his papers were retracted. And now he has become the person with the highest number of retractions ever. <laughs> he, he is at the top of the leaderboard of Retraction Watch. And this is uh, not where you want to be. He has no less than 184 retracted papers. That's a world record that I hope nobody <laughs> is going to repeat. And uh, I hope he's not very proud of himself as well. I call this a massive cleanup of scientific publishing. Yeah, hundred and eighty four retracted articles. That is very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Speaking of uh, a massive amount of uh, scientific articles, uh, this is what usually uh, assessments of hazard and risk of uh, certain food products and food additives uh, is based on. So yeah, one of them is aspartame. And uh, 
two episodes ago, on episode 385, we talked about the leaked information that the International Agency for Research on Cancer and the World Health Organization uh, and the Food and Agriculture Organization Joint Experts Committee and on food additives were considering putting aspartame, this very widely used artificial sweetener that is used in various food and beverage products, into the classification of possibly carcinogenic to humans, which is the uh, IRC's uh, group 2B. That means basically that it is limited evidence that is available to support this notion that it might be carcinogenic, but there is a possibility. So I kind of believe that this was the reason behind the leakage of the information, that the pushback from medical science and food science and and, and all that could lead to these organizations rethinking are putting it into this category, but unfortunately it hasn't happened. So uh, why I'm saying is it's it's unfortunate is because there is a craze right now. Since then, the, the number of articles discussing this have skyrocketed. And the other thing that I've seen happen since the publication of that piece of information is that products are being advertised on the basis that they don't contain aspartame. Mm. And we have to mention here that the acceptable daily intake, which is called ADI, has still not been changed. And that is about 40 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. And that means that in order to achieve that amount of aspartame in your body, uh, you would have to consume about 20, 23 cans of soda that contains aspartame and nobody in their right minds does that so i think it's safe to say that we're still safe uh, especially considering the fact that this has been in food and beverage products since the 1980s and it is probably the most widely researched food additive out there and uh, if it's in the limited evidence category then we should really not focus on this as the most urgent problem that we have to face. Yeah. And one effect of this is that people are electing not to, to... You don't want to drink your Coca-Cola light anymore, right? Because you, you fear the aspartame. And then you drink... The sugar. The sugary one. Normal Coca-Cola <laughs> with sugar. And we know how dangerous it is to... Yes. You know, if you drink two liters of Coca-Cola, that's a lot of sugar. And you can drink, well, if you're 70 kilos, I think you can drink about five liters of light soda without getting to the limit of what you can safely drink every day. Yeah. So uh, don't choose sugar instead of aspartame. Mm -hmm. If you want to choose water instead, that's fine. That's very harmless. But don't choose something that's more dangerous. Yes. And um, just a quick follow up from episode 384, where we talked about a German Heilpraktiker who gave out um, fraudulent, like forged COVID um, vaccination passes. He actually got put in front of the court now and his mm -hmm. legal sentence is out. And he has to go actually into jail for four years and three months. Mm -hmm. He was a very absurd uh, <laughs> person in front of the court. He apparently like crafted his own tinfoil hat for that. And the thing is, he did 
this in 96 cases and in another 102 cases uh, outside of a pharmacy. So he got a very strict, very strong sentence, um, but also because he was very well known in front of the law. And he also has to pay for the legal processes. Mm. So yeah, good. there you go. That's your update. <laughs> <laughs> we welcome it. All right, and that brings us to the end of the news segment, but we still have to find out who's been really wrong. Yeah, and I think um, this is probably one of the most well-deserved. And it actually had so big waves that um, my Australian, my favorite and private Australian, (laughs) um, Scotty, actually was like, hey, do you want to talk about this on the <laughs> show? <laughs> and You're private Australian, yeah. I like that. <laughs> okay. And um, I've got my very own. And yeah, he said like, hey, you should talk about that on the show because that's uh, making waves. Mm-hmm. And he's right, of course, um, because I'm talking about Yuri Geller, who had an article out about him in the New York Times where they said, and I'll just quote, Um, The end of the Magic World's 50-year grudge. In 1973, Yuri Geller claimed to bend metal with his mind on live television. Skeptics couldn't beat him. Now they've joined him. End quote. So what do you think about that? (laughs) I would never join Uri Geller in anything. (laughs) WTF. That's what I think about this. (laughs) (laughs) Such a fraud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, do they mean beat as in exposed as a likely fraud? (laughs) Then, yes, skeptics have uh, beaten him among that uh, James Randi, (laughs) Mark Edward, and so on. And we also have, like, um, you can't also mix up the magic community with the skeptical community, yes? There's a big overlap. Um, Houdini, as as I said again, James Randi, Penn and Teller, Mark Edward... There are a lot of skeptics that are also magicians. Like, yes, but... They don't claim to have special powers. (laughs) Exactly. And we have also many skeptics who have laughed about that article (laughs) a lot. (laughs) Um, For example, DJ Grothy or Steve Novella. (laughs) And I have to say, like, yeah, they're doing right in savaging um, this article because it's, uh, it's a bit laughable. So... Yeah, and it's just really like, it's not like we're holding a grudge or that which is also wrong what they say in the article. Like we're we're not holding a grudge. It's the skeptics have a conscience and that's why they're like, you, you shouldn't prey on, on vulnerable and hurting people um, being this type that, that Susan Gerbic calls the, the grief vampires. Yeah. You know, mm. it's just that you shouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's what and we it, say. It also, <laughs> this article also tried to make light of what Uri Geller has done mm-hmm. and, and say it's not mm-hmm. that bad. It's entertainment. So, mm-hmm. well, tell that to you know he has made a living on this. Yeah, he has promised big oil companies that mm-hmm. he can find oil or minerals or stuff with his mind mm-hmm. and gotten. Millions yes, for that exactly, and that's that's fraud. I mean, I mm-hmm. no, I have no 
particular sympathy yeah. for, for oil companies as mm-hmm. such, but he is a fraud. Yeah. He tricks people into giving him him money mm-hmm. because he says he has special powers. Yeah. And I mean, like, I almost um, would have given out the award to the 60-year-old caretaker in Italy who fondled a 17-year-old girl and, and the court didn't say he's... It, that wasn't sexual harassment because it was less than 10 seconds. <laughs> so I, I was almost tempted to give that out, but that doesn't have a skeptical angle. So, of course, I had to give out the award to the New York Times for misunderstanding Yuri Geller and not seeing what a fraud he is and claiming that, that we joined him. So, like, no, we didn't We didn't join him. And, and here is your award, <laughs> New York Times, <laughs> yeah. for being really wrong. And it's well-deserved. And, and Uri Geller is wrong, but... But um, yeah, supporting him that way. Uh, what is it anyway? Is it like a, a, a weird comeback? He is one of these unsinkable rubber ducks. For some yeah. reason, exactly. he always tries to make himself... Uh, yeah. I doubt that this came out of no- nowhere. I think he somehow prompted something that that generated this article could be part of a campaign and Mm. if someone is wondering why it's on the european skeptics podcast it's because uh, uri geller is an israeli british Mm -hmm. uh, citizen and he was born in uh, current day israel yeah by the way he has um austrian jewish and hungarian jewish background as well Mm -hmm. so he claims to be um the descendant of uh, sigmund freud or one of the distant relatives. Okay. <laughs> well, that gives him more credibility, doesn't it? <laughs> Another crank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Annika. Thank you. And uh, that brings us to a recently introduced segment that we call Word of the Week. And I thought that this week we would uh, run with a Hungarian word that I, I really like. It's... Uh, Komu. 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 Yeah. And it actually has, um, according to Hungarian etymology experts, it comes from the French word camouflage, which we all know. I mean, I mean, we all understand that Mm -hmm. word. It's quite international. It's used in English as well. Uh, And the meaning of komu is uh, made up Mm. or an outright lie that's something that is not true it's it's just make-believe and uh, we very often use it in skeptical circles to explain certain products uh, certain services that that are based on no scientific evidence whatsoever so for example we call them commutermic commutermic means false product a product that doesn't work Mm. so um, yeah Mm. so the word of the week is commu in hungarian So, that concludes our show, but before we go, we definitely need a quote. Yes, and this week's quote uh, is, of course, a bit (laughs) (laughs) tongue-in-cheek, as it's by one Yuri Geller. (laughs) And um, he said, I've stopped caring about skeptics, but if they're liable or defame me, they will end up in court. And court mm. does not sound like a person who doesn't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, he does care. Yep. Oh. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm skeptical about. But that. I think it's a, it's it's quite an old quote from him. But still, he did say it, and he did do that actually. So he mm-hmm. oh, yeah. he went to court mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. a couple of occasions. Yes. <laughs> but, 
But that really brings us to the end of uh, this week's show. So I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hej då. Vi slatt. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe And joining me for the show, I'm our... And joining me for the show... Fuck me! The law of convers... Not conversation of energy, for God's sake! It's the conservation! And I can never say this word. A German anesthesiologist. Anesthesiologist? No, shut up. Anesthesiologist. Anesthesia. Anesthesia. Anesthesiologist. <laughs> Colloidal. Oh, here we go again. Hydro. Hydro. <laughs> hydroxyethyl starch. Hyd, hydro. Oh, for, why is that? Hydroxyethyl. <laughs> the interven, intravenous. I can't say all the fucking hard <laughs> words today. Intravenous, intravenous. Medical science is full of these. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)